Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire will begin featuring interviews with agents and editors in the month of June. To access this exclusive content and have the chance to pose your own questions to guest agents and editors, support the podcast through Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash Mindy McGinnis to learn more or check out the link in the episode credits. Today's guest is Beth Revis, author of New York Times bestselling Across the Universe trilogy, as well as The Body Electric, The World Without You, and the Paper Heart series for writers. Beth joined me today to talk about writing 10 books before hitting it big with the 11th one, receiving nothing but rejections for a decade, and how that made her a better writer. Riley didn't mean to kiss her sister's boyfriend, at least... Not the first time, but it doesn't matter because her sister caught them together, ran away upset, and never came home. As evidence mounts that something terrible has happened, Riley can't bring herself to admit what she's done, that she's the reason her sister ran away. How do you face the guilt of wishing a person gone when they actually disappear? Avoid the Size of the World, a YA novel by Rachel Alpine, is available now through Simon Pulse. A lot of my listeners are aspiring writers and many are in the dreaded query trenches. So tell us about your agent and how you landed them. I actually had a really long journey to get an agent. Get For a lot of people, it seems like they either have a short journey to an agent, but then a long journey to a book deal or a long journey to an agent and a short journey to a book deal. But I had the long journey to an agent. I wrote my first novel when I was a sophomore in college, and I had been trying to write a short story and it just kept going. <laughs> I sent about 100 or so queries and got soundly rejected on all of them. I was like, okay, I can write the next book. And so I wrote the next book and sent it to about 100 more agents, and they all rejected it. And I did that for a book a year for 10 years, and all of them were rejected. I have about 1,000 agent rejections. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes. Fortunately, like by the time I was on my third or fourth one, I was legally old enough to drink, so that helped. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I had a really long journey in that way, a decade of rejection, essentially. Across the Universe was my 11th novel that I wrote in my 11th year, and it was my give up novel. I sat down with my husband, the the guy who went from boyfriend to husband over the course of that decade. I was like, look, look, I've wasted too much of my life on this and it's going nowhere. So if this one doesn't sell, I quit forever. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, right. But I was pretty serious about that. And I just had the one last idea. I hadn't intended to write Across the Universe. I was pretty sure that young adult science fiction set in space wouldn't sell because there was literally none of that on the shelves at the time. Mm -hmm. I just decided to do it on a whim. I was like, this one is for me. The 10th book that I had wrote, the last one that was rejected, I kind of wrote it to the market. But this is the one that I wrote for me. And it was the one that changed everything. And I ended up with five or six agent offers. I got to do the whole interview the agent and pick the one that you want. And I actually signed with the person who was literally my dream agent. Um, And I've been with her ever since. And that's been amazing and still something of a dream. That's awesome. Who is your agent? 
Uh, my agent is Marilee Heifetz at Writer's House. She represents this artsy author that nobody's ever heard of named Neil Gaiman. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, some other people. <laughs> When I interviewed her, she was like, oh, you need to talk to any of my clients. I was like, yeah, sure. She was like, oh, well, you know, Neil's in the UK, but I'm pretty sure we could find a time that would work for you both. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) You're like, can I just talk to Neil Gaiman? Do I have to ask questions about you? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Let me just hear his dulcet voice. Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. It's so lovely to hear someone else who had that long journey. I, too, was querying for 10 years. Uh, I had four novels that are under the bed and 10 years of querying. And so it's so awesome to know that someone that came out of the gate just running had been behind that gate for 10 years. Well, I think it is really important because the stories that get told are the overnight successes. And I even remember when Across the Universe came out, my editor pitched it at one of the book conventions. And a friend of mine was in the audience and she was texting me at the time. And she was like, ha, ha, ha. Doesn't he know your story? He just said that you were an overnight success. <laughs> I was like, one night and 10 years. Right. <laughs> it happens a lot more often than people think. Absolutely. My writer friends and I have sat down and compared notes and came up with an average of seven years. I say that to aspiring writers and some of them find it depressing yet it's supposed to be uplifting because like if you've been querying for five and you're like oh i'm clearly not set for this it's like no dude you're good yeah you're on the bubble it's so easy for me to say this now because now writing is my career i I have been able to make it work so and i recognize that it's easy for me to say this now Mm -hmm. but now looking back i really truly appreciate the 10 years of failure that i had It taught me how to edit. It taught me how to be professional. Now, when my editor says, okay, we like this book, but we need you to rewrite literally all of it. I'm like, okay, that's not a rejection. I can do that. It really shaped my worldview and helped me to be a better professional person. And I really do appreciate that time. I have a friend whose very first novel not only sold, but did really well, but her second novel that she wrote Nobody liked it. And she had never, ever had rejection before. And she had almost a mental collapse over this because she'd never had that. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, okay, fine. You don't like this. I know I can write something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good lesson. And I know, for example, with just being humble, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. 10 years of rejection will make you humble. If I had been published with the first novel, I also wrote my first novel as a sophomore in college. And if that thing had gotten published, I would be an unbearable prick. (laughs) Oh, I absolutely. Like, I remember when I finished the first one, I was like, ah, I'm going to be like this young prodigy and have tea with JK. Like, I really had these things in my head. Like, I was hot shit. No, no, it wasn't. No. And it was, a, it was a hard lesson to learn, but I'm really glad I learned that lesson. Yeah, me too. I had a very bad haircut in sixth grade, which is the worst time to have a very bad haircut. And I'm super glad because that's where I developed humor as a defense mechanism. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I specifically remember the months leading up to the release of your debut, which we talked about across the universe, because I was in the query trenches myself at the time. I was probably on year, I'm going to say eight of my 10 at the time. And I was working as a young adult librarian. So the first chapter of Across the Universe was released early to build up buzz for your book. And it worked in a fantastic fashion. Librarians were talking about your debut way before it was released. 
And I freely admit I was green with envy until I read the pages myself because seriously, everyone was talking about this. And I was just like irritated. So then I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to sit down and read this. Oh yeah. Okay. This deserves the buzz. So was coming out of the gate like that intimidating as a debut, even though you had those 10 years shaping you behind that? Sort of both yes and no, but mostly no, because I was too dumb to know any better. I feel like every 10 years I had gathered a lot of information about agents and querying and to get to the gate, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know that much about what was past the gate. My editor would say, oh, we're going to, you know, emboss the cover of your hardback it's like oh okay that's nice and like I had no concept that this was something special I was like that looks nice and pretty yeah. or when they were like oh we're gonna send you here and here I was like oh okay I guess that's what happened I didn't realize that I was getting any kind of special treatment mm-hmm. and looking back now whoa young Beth you were super stupid <laughs> <laughs> but at the time I was like oh this is just what happens and I think part of that was I had always looked at authors with these rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. where once you get the, the agent and the book deal, like it's all book tours and fancy tea and all this stuff, when in reality, it, it really isn't. Since then, I have certainly learned that that was an exception and not a rule. I remember when the list, the New York Times bestseller list came out, I was actually sitting at my kitchen table paying bills. I was writing checks out like an old person <laughs> and paying like the power bill or something. And a friend texted me, congratulations. And my phone started to blow up. And I was like, what's going on? Why does my book came out last week? Why is everyone congratulating me now? And it wasn't until like an hour later that I realized, oh, this really important, super rare, weird thing happened. And I didn't even know to be like aware that it happened. (laughs) It is funny. People don't tell you. They really need to have a publishing 101 for people that are new in business because we don't know. We don't know how to find out if you hit NYT. We don't know when to expect our royalty statements or sometimes even how we get paid. Like you just don't know. And you don't know what's normal because I I still feel bad. I had a conversation with a friend. My book came out in January and her book was coming out in like August or September or something. So she was asking me about what to expect. And I was telling her these things like, oh, well, you should expect this and this and this without realizing that she had a different deal for mine. Looking back, I now realize I probably really hurt her feelings or raised her expectations. Mm-hmm. My publisher had put my book at a different mm-hmm. level and it had nothing to do with our talents. Our books were equally mm-hmm. good. It's just that I happened to get lucky that time. We don't know until you've had that experience what is normal. My debut, I got to tour It was so much fun and I was so excited and I had all these outfits planned for each stop and I was touring with, I know, isn't that funny now? (laughs) It's so cute. Such a debut mistake. I was with Ray Carson, Maddie Rue, Michelle Gagnon, and Sherry Thomas. So we were all together for a Dark Days tour with Harper. First of all, beginning a tour with a group that you stay with for a very first experience was awesome. Because Maddie and I were both debuts and the other three were very established. And so it was lovely. But I will never forget, Ray and I were hanging out. And I came downstairs just wearing like this cute little dress. Ray is wearing like jeans and a t-shirt that says bitch. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, are you going to change before the thing? And she's like, no. I asked her a question. What to expect at the bookstore? It was at a Barnes and Noble. And she was like, well, Mindy, there's five authors on the panel And if we have that many audience members, I'll be happy. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? No. I was like, you're crazy. It was like, you're crazy. It's like, you're a New York Times uh-huh. author. Michelle was either New York Times or, or her adult books had been. And then Sherry, of course, was a New York Times bestselling mm-hmm. author. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. But in my head, I'm like, oh, come on. It's like Ray's just being modest. Like, nope. I think there were three people at our signing. Isn't it the best when you had that first balloon oh. punch? When you realize, oh, wait, none of this is what we thought. Right <laughs> in the gut. Right in the gut. Maddie and I were both kind of like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then we all went out to eat afterwards and drank a little bit. And Sharon and Michelle and Ray were like, yeah, dude, this is what it's going to be like the whole time. (laughs) I put my cute clothes in a box and I sent them back FedEx and I just wore my jeans the rest of the time. I'm like, screw this. It's like, I'm uncomfortable. Generally, debut authors will like try really hard (laughs) with their clothes and their looks. Lauren Oliver and I did a signing together where we were both wearing jeans with holes, tennis shoes, and flannels, and our hair was mm-hmm. dirty and like <laughs> up in clips. And it's just like, no, this is what it looks like four years in. The first tour I did, my suitcase was like packed to the brim. I had multiple shoes. Yeah, I did even. too. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, leggings will fit in my backpack. These are the sneakers I'm wearing the whole time. No matter what I'm wearing, we're good to go. Yep. I do the same thing. I'm like, I've got a nice pair of jeans and then I've got my travel pair that I wear on the plane that's comfy. Uh So I have my pretty jeans and then I have an undershirt and like three or four different shirts to go over it. So I have like one pair of jeans for the whole tour because it's like, I'm fine. It's like, nobody's going to be sniffing my pants, you know? (laughs) And if they are, they've got different problems. Right, exactly. I'm not the problem if they're sniffing my pants. Coming up, how being traditionally published gave Beth the skills and know-how to try her hand at self-publishing. Julianne Bell's life is caving in on her. Her mom is a bankrupt hoarder. Their house is a landfill of dolls and junk. To avoid becoming homeless, Julianne takes a summer job at an amusement park. As luck would have it, heartthrob Brandon Wright works there too. Between sweeping trash at the park, helping her mentally ill mom save their house, and navigating first love, Julianne's messy life just got a lot messier. Doll Hearts by Colleen Clayton. $2.99 on Kindle. You followed up your trilogy with The Body Electric, which was self-published. So you had a New York Times bestselling trilogy that did very well, had all kinds of buzz and a following. And then you followed up with a self-published book. So why did you choose to go that route with that specific novel? Well, there were a lot of reasons. Partly the market had shifted. But The Body Electric, a lot of people don't realize, is actually a companion novel to the Across Universe books. It's what's happening on Earth while Amy and Elder are in space. Cool. So it was linked to those already. So I knew I wanted to get it out and get it out kind of quickly for the readers who had been reading the first trilogy. I wanted them to be able to have this new one. And then the market, it has shifted a little bit. This was not a book that my publisher felt like they wanted to do for me as their next published book through Penguin. It ended up being the one that I was like, you know, let me just see if I can do this. Mm -hmm. It was a very big learning process. I learned so much, not just about writing, but about publishing and marketing and the business side of it, which has carried over into every aspect of how I work now. Knowing both sides of the fence has helped me be a better published author on the traditional side as well as the self-published side. I did it for a lot of different reasons because it was done and, and I had it ready and I wanted it to be out there in the world. And I tried to do it as professionally as possible 
which for me meant that I spent a lot of money that I didn't necessarily right. need to spend. I think when it comes to publishing, especially, you, you pay for everything either through money or time. And I didn't have the time to learn all the skills that I needed to do, so I had to hire them out. Mm-hmm. I do think I did it the best way that I could have done it. Pretty proud of that little novel. It's my little novel that could. It sold really well. It gave me the courage to then do the Paper Hearts books on my own, which is something that no traditional publisher really wanted at right. all anyway. So you mentioned putting money into the project up front when talking about the body electric. How much money were you investing in yourself personally from the get-go? When it came to traditional publishing, I had set a budget for myself of 10% of what I earn, I will put back into my own marketing, be that travel for a convention or or making swag or whatever. Mm. With self-publishing, obviously, you have to start without knowing how much money you're going to make. So I had set myself a budget, I think of about... $2,500 total. And I think I spent about that much between having a professionally designed book cover, all the formatting for both print and ebook done Mm -hmm. professionally. I hired a copy editor. The book had already had a professional level of line edits, big picture edits. So I hired a copy editor. Then I did marketing and I invested the rest of that into marketing. So I probably invested about $2,500 or so, give or take a hundred into the body electric. Mm -hmm. But because I did that, I then learned what was worthwhile and what was worth the money and what I could start to do on my own. So for the paper hearts books, the money was much, much smaller for those. I want to say for the paper hearts books, I probably invested about five or $700 each on them. Mm -hmm. I have a master's degree in language literature and I've worked as a copy editor to before. So especially with paper hearts books being nonfiction, I could copy edit them myself. And I just hired somebody to do the covers. I taught myself how to do the interior and how to program the eBooks. And so for those, I invested about five or $700. And then for the paper hearts workbook, I did it entirely by myself. So the only money I invested was the stock art that I used for the cover. And that was it. So the body electric is beautiful. It's a beautiful book physically, the design, the interior, the cover, and just the actual physical heft of the book. It's obviously very well done. You were able to get professional reviews for the body electric. There were reviews in Publishers Weekly, which is very difficult for a self-published author. So how did you manage that? Publishers Weekly has a program where they will allow you to bring in self-published or small published. So if you're in a small publishing house, they do that. It's it's a service they provide. You do have Mm -hmm. to pay money for it. I got in on that. Once they opened that up, I submitted the body electric and was very lucky to get a pretty favorable review from Publishers Weekly through that program. Hell of a boost. I can tell you that librarians and teachers, when they're building their collection for their students, and we're talking about OIA, those professional reviews Mm -hmm. matter. They carry a lot of weight. And, and I know that everybody has a different publishing path, but for me personally, I would not have felt, and I did not feel comfortable self-publishing until I had the traditional mm-hmm. publishing background, not just because being traditionally published meant that I learned how to edit and I learned how to rewrite and I learned what was marketable in writing. Like being pr- traditionally published taught me more about writing in that one year of editing across the universe than in the whole 10 years of trying mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. that point before. But it also taught me about those things like a professional review is an important thing for libraries and schools. And I wouldn't have known that had I not done the traditional publishing first. And I think the only reason I was able to do the body electric, the way that I did it was because I had the background already established. And frankly, because I had the readership already established. I don't think I would have gotten anywhere if I did not already have the readers who bought the book. I sold 300 copies 
the day it came out through my local indie bookstore. And that was only because people who had read across the universe wanted to read mm-hmm. the next book. If I hadn't had that, I, none yeah, of those books. That's would. the truth. It's having an already established readership is a huge bridge. If you're moving over in self-publishing. Yeah. Lastly, the thrill of being part of the Star Wars canon, the story behind the Paper Heart series for writers, and where to find Beth online. In 2016, you switched things up with your first contemporary release, A World Without You, which blends genre fiction with real-life issues. So it wasn't necessarily a genre jump, but it was definitely a bit of a, I don't know, let's call it a slide. about your sci-fi fan base following you over as you branched out? Not initially, because in the original draft of A World Without You and the way I originally perceived it, it was basically a superhero book. And it was a story about a boy who thought he could control time and he's attending an academy much like the X-Men Academy. And so it it still very much fit in with the sci-fi genre. But then it slowly leaked into a sort of question of reality and is he really at this X-Men-like academy or is he actually at what's essentially a mental institution for teenagers? As that element became more prominent, the story developed a lot more heart than it originally had. The character of the sister, if you read the book, there's about 25% of it narrated from the boy's sister's point of view. And the sister has no powers at all. And so she's sort of the one who's grounded in reality. And that that character originally oh. did not exist. And that was something that happened through edits. And it was through edits that the story became more of a contemporary than a sci-fi. It was a slow burn and a slow gradual slide into it. In the end, the story, I think, has a lot more heart and truth to it mm-hmm. than it otherwise would have. Yeah, I know as a genre jumper myself, it can be scary not knowing if your readers are going to follow yeah. you. To be fair, I still basically explode <laughs> and burn everything down. So it's not that much of a genre. <laughs> so it's like we're still a trademark Beth Revis book. We still blew up things. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. So you're a super lucky duck because you got to write a Star Wars novel. That is ridiculous. I know, it's so <laughs> crazy. Rebel Rising tells the story of Jin Erso from Rogue One. So what was it like working within a world that was already built for you? And how did it feel to contribute to such an iconic canon? It is not in any way, shape, or form an exaggeration yeah. to say that this was a dream come true. I dreamed about being able to write a novel for Star Wars. Like, that was... The pie in the sky sure. bucket list dream of what I wanted out of my life. I mean, I just still distinctly remember when I got the call and my agent was like, Yeah, you like Star Wars, right? Literally feel my heartbeat ticking yeah. up. And I was like, Yes. And my skin started to vibrate and my eyeballs started to do this weird shifty thing. And I was like, Yes, <laughs> I really like them. Yes. And like, I still cannot believe that this is real life. I got the phone call the spring before the movie came out. So the movie came out in December near Christmas. And I got the phone call in April. It happened so fast. I keep a daily journal and I've looked back on those days and it was like, like Monday, it was like, Oh, I got a call from Marilee. And she thinks that this might happen. And then Tuesday I was like, I haven't heard anything. It's probably all fake. Nothing's going to happen. Wednesday is like dark abyss of the soul. Nobody loves me. I just right. had my hopes up and they're ripped out. From That's amazing. Thursday we have a book deal. Friday I'm on an airplane oh, to San Francisco wow. to read the script. Oh, it was fast. It was so fast and amazing. So yeah, I got to read the script to Rogue One early. I very clearly could tell no one. (laughs) I had to tell my husband what was happening because I couldn't just pack up the bags and be like, okay, take care of the baby for a weekend. I'll see you. I can't tell you where I'm going. 
so I, I had to tell the husband where I was going. And he, I mean, he is also a huge Star Wars geek like I am. And so I read the script. I saw the production shots. I'm so excited. On the way home, I like hunched over my notebook and took notes on the, the book I wanted to write. And the airplane lands and I run out to greet my husband. I'm like, oh my God, I can't tell anybody, but I can tell you. And he like puts his hand on my mouth and is like, Shh, I don't want spoilers. I have never wanted to kill a man more <laughs> bursting at the seams and like nothing. I couldn't say anything. I would go on the forums on Reddit and see all the fan theories about what would happen. And I would just have to scroll through and be like, you're right. You're wrong. You're right. Ha <laughs> ha. And like, could not tell anything to my husband. Oh, that does sound, that just sounds like difficult. <laughs> so you mentioned the paper hearts books. And for those that aren't aware, those are a series of nonfiction titles with advice for writers from writing to publishing to marketing. And there's also the paper hearts workbook, which features worksheets, flow charts, and journaling pages to help get creative juices flowing or to plan a novel that hasn't made its paper yet. So this is a treasure trove of advice from an accomplished author to those who are climbing the ladder. So what made you decide to do that? That's a lot of work that you put into those. They're kind of books in my oh. heart. And that's one reason why I named them Paper Hearts, because they meant so much to me. Before I was a published author, I was a teacher. And I Intended for teaching to be the lucrative yes. career that would support my writing habit because, oh, yeah. you know, teachers get paid super well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always make good money decisions. I found out that I actually really loved teaching. I had always dreamed of having this job where I could go into the office and be like, you can take this job and shove it. I'm going to be a writer. And then whenever I actually got the book deal for Across the Universe, I cried to my principal. It's like, I don't really want to leave, but I have to leave. And it was just so lame. But I really loved teaching when I was doing it. And after a while, when I was a full-time writer, I found that I missed teaching. I, I think better when I'm trying to explain it to somebody else. And so Paper Hearts, the first volume, which is about writing, started off as blog posts where I would just talk about what I had learned as a debut author and as somebody who is working with professional editors and explaining it both to myself and my readers about what I had learned about the craft of writing. And eventually enough people had asked me about it that I compiled it into a book on Wattpad, which is a free platform for you to put things in book shaped form as an ebook. And so I put the, uh, the Paper Hearts books on Wattpad and then people started asking to have it in a print form because they wanted to be able to take notes in the margins and things like that. After The Body Electric came out and I learned how to about self-publishing, I compiled the Paper Hearts books into print books. From there, I started to do a lot more workshops and I was teaching workshops and classes through SCBWI and I work with Kristen Terrell on something called uh, the Wordsmith Workshops where we take authors over a long weekend and teach them about writing and critique their works and things like that. So I started compiling all these active lessons to do with writers. And I thought to myself, like, it would be very convenient for me if I had these all organized in a book form. Oh, wait, maybe other authors would like that too. Um, and that's where the workbook came from. It was just a matter of of compiling the stuff that I already had and the experience that I had already gained through teaching workshops and uh, putting it all together into one book. That's awesome. It is such a, as you were saying, a project of the heart and very giving of you. I mean, I know how much work goes into that and I, I put, you know, work into, into the blog and into this podcast, but I've never created, um, a physical book or a download like that. And it's something I would like to branch out into sometime. And I just haven't done it yet because I know the amount of work that is involved. 
for me, it helped that it was gradual. Like it started off as just blog posts and then I pulled them all together into one thing. And then it, it sort of built up over the years. So that, that helps. But I mean, if it makes you feel better, like the, the idea of doing a podcast is utterly intimidating to me. You know, you'd be surprised how easy it actually is. Honestly, I actually just did a class in Southern Ohio. They asked me to teach some podcasting at a communications class at the local college. And I was like, yeah, I can. I've never talked about podcasting before, but it was fun to go in and do that. As you know, I'm sitting in my closet right now. Like this is a patched together outfit. I was really intimidated by it at first too. And now it's like, dude, I use GarageBand and I sit in my closet and everything's patched together and it works. Why don't you tell us what is up next for you? If you have anything you can share coming up. So my next book is coming out on September 25th. It's called Give the Dark My Love, and it is the first fantasy novel that I've been able to get published. I talked about how I had 10 novels prior to the Across the Universe books, and all 10 of those books were fantasy. So I've been trying to oh, write wow. fantasy for a long time. <laughs> and fantasy's hard, man. Fantasy's hard. And I finally, finally got one that I'm actually super happy with. Um, it's about necromancy. So I'm still on brand. Yes. Everybody dies. and then they come back and I kill them again that's coming out in September and I'm really happy with it and I really love it and I can't wait for people to read it that's awesome and where can people find you online I am online at Beth Revis basically everywhere Uh, BethRevis.com Twitter's Beth Revis Instagram Beth Revis the only exception is Facebook where I am author Beth Revis so another resource for writers that I have helped develop with some other authors is the YA Writers Reddit, which is an online forum for people at all stages. We have lots of people who are published authors who frequent there, including myself, um, people who are aspiring, people who are agents. We've even had some publishers who have been known to lurk. And you can go there and have conversations or ask any questions you have about publishing. It's totally free to use. And it's just a resource that we've developed for people. That is awesome. And I myself have done Q&As there, and I intend to be more active here now that my particular publishing cycle is on a downswing at the moment. I'm done writing things. I'm done editing things. I'm ready to wander around the internet a little bit more, and Reddit's a place to do that. So I, too, will be present in the YA Reddit community if people want to pop in and ask questions. Perfect time. <laughs> Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. If you find the podcast or blog helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting GoFundMe.com and searching for Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire. Or visit the blog by going to WriterWriterPantsOnFire.blogspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and then the PayPal button. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. Join me next week for another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where writers talk about things that never happened to people that don't exist. <laughs>